Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8 as we continue our journey through this book. 12 are sent and equipped is our topic. Actually, Luke chapter 9, I'm sorry, we finished Luke chapter 8 last week. We had been there so while, I thought we had just camped and uh, built a foundation and everything there. But here we are, Luke chapter 9. Now imagine, we talked about an ambassador here just a moment, about how we are ambassadors for Christ. And I think you all know what an ambassador, ambassador is one who, who, who represents a, a country, a nation, a ruler. And imagine that a king or a ruler of a country or say the president appoints an ambassador, a a man or a woman to represent his country by expressing the the, the president's or the king's, the rulers, their wishes, their view and their expectations to other heads of state. They're representing, we, we put our best foot forward, right? That's what we want to do is represent well, only to have that ambassador trash his own country ruler and culture. We say that's as a crummy ambassador. We had that happen actually just this week as the United States ambassador to the United Nations went and said we had to, to acknowledge that we're an imperfect union and have been since the beginning and that our founding documents and principles are, are lacking and, and, and wrong. And you would say what in the world is going on with that? You're supposed to represent our best foot forward. You're supposed to, to tell, yes, our, our nation may be, may be um, imperfect, but yet we're always improving, at least working towards improving, maybe not at the pace that everyone would like. And this is not a political message at all, but it's such a wild accusation, really inappropriate for, for an ambassador to come and critique their own country and to put it down in the face of other countries. They're not to represent their own beliefs, but that of their country. They're to represent the, uh, the, the beliefs and, the, and the, the administration of their president. Ambassador has the responsibility to just discharge their duties with the utmost respect and dignity of the office they represent. And this morning, as we think of ourselves as ambassadors, we're looking at 12 men who are going to be sent by God, by sent by Jesus, to be ambassadors for him, sent and equipped. Now, since chapter 4, Luke has been writing about the ministry of Jesus in Galilee. Uh, Jesus' popularity and reputation is growing exponentially as he travels around to all the various towns and villages, teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, demonstrating his authority over the natural world, remember, calming the seas and the storm, and over the supernatural, exercising demons. He's displaying his power over various sicknesses and disabilities, and even over death. Everywhere Jesus goes, the crowd is gathering around, hoping to catch a glimpse of him, to hear him teach, and to watch him do some miracles. And as we come to chapter 9, now Luke is going to move in, and he's going to give us kind of an inside scoop of Jesus' interaction with the twelve. At this point, they've just been on the outside, so to speak, kind of looking in, traveling with Jesus, watching what Jesus is doing. But now we're going to see that it's going to be starting to narrow as Jesus' focus or ministry focuses a little bit differently 
as he knows the day is approaching for his crucifixion. He's chosen these men as his apostles, which means messenger, sent ones. It's now time to begin their next stage of training as they prepare them, or he prepares them for the day when Jesus will no longer be with them. So with that, in Luke chapter 9, would you read with me verses 1 through 6? I believe it may be here on the monitor uh, as we continue. And he goes on, he called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and, and do not have two tunics. This is something that they would wear on the outside of their clothing. Then whatever house you enter, stay there. And from there, uh, and, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Father, we thank you for your word again, written almost 2,000 years ago, but preserved for us today. This is the revealed will of God or word of God, I should say. And Father, we have a great uh, privilege of receiving this word with gladness and with joy. And may we do so this morning, but also the responsibility to read, to know, to understand, and then to respond to what you're calling us to do this morning. So help us as we do that work. Give us wisdom. Keep us free from distraction. Let us know the difference between my mere opinion and the word's truth. Lord, that you may be glorified and for our good. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Luke introduces us to these men back in chapter 5, you may recall some time ago, as he's described how each one of them or how several of them came to follow Jesus. Remember, four of them, I think, were a fisherman. One was a tax collector. Another was under a tree, so on and so forth. And then later in chapter 6 of Luke, he detailed how God or Jesus chose, well, God did, but Jesus then chose the 12 men after a long night of prayer. In Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verse 14, the author writes that Jesus appointed these 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So now here that time has come to now send them out on their own and see how well they do. It has always been the plan that Jesus would prepare these men for ministry. In Luke at chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus confided that it was to them it was given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Remember, speaking about parables. Parables were things that would be difficult to understand, but to the apostles, the disciples, the twelve, they would have an inside knowledge of what God was speaking through the Holy Spirit. These men, though they were common and ordinary, as we look at it, these were common, or, uh, 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 ordinary men by human standards, but they are truly remarkable men who changed the world through the gifting of the Holy Spirit. In Acts, it says that they changed the world or they turned the world upside down. They gave us the scriptures and knowledge of Jesus through their writings that you and I have today. They established churches around the world, some which are still in existence or have legacies even today, and they serve their rabbi, their teacher, and savior faithfully, even to death. Now, the first observation as we just look at this passage is we see the purpose of this ministry, why Jesus is sitting, the purpose of their mission. Though his earthly ministry was not yet completed, 
it was time for Jesus to engage him in the next step of training. And in our passage, Jesus has commissioned them for an urgent and immediate task. He was sending them out as ambassadors with his authority in order to continue their apprenticeship for what would eventually become their ultimate mission, as you and I read in Luke's second story called Acts. The gradual release of responsibility that we're noticing here with Jesus is that uh, is, is known as the I do, you do, we do, and you do. You've heard of that? I do, you watch. We do together, and I give you some promptings, and then you do. It's a teaching strategy that includes demonstration, prompting, and then practice. They have been following, watching, and helping Jesus for some time now, and it was time to put their training to the test. In sending them out, Jesus gives them three tasks. These are three things that Jesus is asking them to do if you're taking notes. One is preaching. Go out and preach the good news of the kingdom. The second one is to heal. Heal people of their diseases. That's what Jesus has been doing. And then exercising. Now that's not exercising and doing calisthenics. I'm probably not saying that exorcising demons. Casting them out. Luke notes that Jesus gave them power and authority. And that Greek word power is translated for us here. Power is dynamis, which we get our word. Anyone want to guess? Dynamite. dynamite. Yeah, dynamite. If you're from J.J. Walker from, from the 70s show, it's, I mean, it's dynamite. It conveys the image of, of a powerful agent. But Jesus also gave them authority meaning the right to control or to govern, to have dominion, jurisdiction, and demonstration uh, uh, over all things, and his demonstration of his power and authority over all. So Jesus is giving them a taste of what it means to have power and authority over all things. And of course, we're going to see that they accomplish this in Acts, and in the letter to Acts, we see that they do many more of these things, and, and Jesus promises that they'll even do more than what he did. Now, this is important because in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, as we look at the power and authority of Jesus, he can calm storms, right? He can, he can give sight to the blind man. He can make the lame walk. He can, he, he can exercise demons, and he can, he can make the dead come alive. Well, this is nothing for Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Look at this passage. It says, speaking of Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus became flesh. That's what we think of Christmas in the incarnation. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. We see this in John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Everything that was created in heaven and on earth, whether it's visible or invisible, God, Jesus, created it all. Whether it's thrones or dominions, taking about authorities, governments, or rulers and authorities, all things were created through Jesus. And it was created for him, it tells us in Colossians. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you and I, our cells of our body are hold together because Jesus says, hold. The only thing that keeps me from just disintegrating is the very good pleasure of Jesus. And this is the authority that he is giving to these, what you and I know as ordinary, regular men imperfect men. 
Amazingly, the one that Jesus testifies that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made, grants these 12 men the power and authority to accomplish wonderful miracles and then entrust them with the life-giving message of the kingdom of God. Imagine that. The privilege that these 12 men have. The responsibility as he is sending them out. Here is a a gift that people would spend a, a, a life to have. Curiously, as we consider that, that you and I have to admit that he gave that power even to Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. The one who would betray Jesus. Even the betrayer would have power and authority and was successful in using it. The second observation, <coughs> excuse me, is the instruction that he gives them before they depart. Luke writes that Jesus gives them three simple instructions. Travel light and trust God to provide all that you need. Just travel light, trusting God to provide all that you need. Don't bring extra tunics. Don't bring a staff. Don't bring a bag. You won't need those things. I want to provide everything that you Could you imagine that, by the way? Going on a trip, I, I imagine, uh, Christy, as you were going back to Pennsylvania, coming back, that you probably had bags full of stuff for the babies, right? Could you imagine just Pedro telling you, you know, just, just don't take anything. Just rely on the, on the good wishes of everyone else. I don't think you and I would try that very often, would we? Except hospitality was the second one. Except hospitality. And don't look for better accommodations. If someone welcomes you in your home, take it. Don't look for someone else who has a better home or better meal or better food. Just just take what's being offered to you. The third one is to expect rejection and pronounce judgment. Expect rejection and pronounce judgment. Jesus instructs them that they have no need to bring anything with them. They were to travel light with a focus on mobility and ease of travel. Nothing that would keep them from accomplishing their task. In Mark's account, it seems that the mission was to be considered urgent. As Jesus tells them, go, don't stop to gather. Go right now. Don't, don't go back home. Don't, don't do those things. Just, just go. Rather, it seems that Jesus intended that the disciples' needs would be covered by the hospitality as they are not to spend time raising money or working as they go. Their mission was of utmost importance. Wake up, do this, go to sleep. Wake up, do this, go to sleep. Don't work, don't ask for money, don't beg. Just just do what I've called you to do. Their mission was of utmost importance. They were to trust God to provide through the charitable giving of his people. It would be through those that accepted their message and their ministry that God would provide food, protection, and shelter. This emphasis on relying on hospitality actually mirrors the command of the apostles to the saints and churches to you and I today, as well as the ancient church of the New Testament. Paul instructs the believers of Rome to contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. The writer of Hebrew warns the Christian not to neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Peter commands the members of the churches to show hospitality to one another without grumbling. One way that you and I receive the gospel with joy is to demonstrate hospitality to those who share it. Theologian Walter Liefeld notes that the servants of Christ should go forth 
Not seeking support from unbelievers, but trusting God completely to supply their faith through his people. Hence, that's one reason our church, we don't do fundraisers, where we're asking people from outside the church to support us. We don't look for government grants. We don't go out looking for it. Now, I'm not criticizing other churches and ministries that do that, but we believe that, that we should be supported by those who are receiving the message and the gifts here. That, that's part and parcel of what it means to be a church. Jesus essentially tells the disciples to accept whatever hospitality they receive and not to seek out better accommodations. In other words, if they are received with gladness by a home, enjoy it. It doesn't matter what their income or social uh, uh, place in the, is in the ladder. Don't look for ways to improve or find better housing, better food, or better company. Unfortunately, today, too many people use the ministry as the way to get more never content in what they have. We need to be very careful of that. The Apostle Paul, who was no stranger to suffering, tells the church of Philippi, I have learned in whatever state I'm in, or situation I should say, I don't want you to think of state and think of Illinois or Indiana or Ohio. God bless us. I've been to those states, that's the only reason I say. And I love them in their own way. I know how to be brought, if you're from one of those states, then forgive me. I know, how to, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. He says, I know how to be content. And maybe you are struggling in that area in your life today. You're saying, but look at my life. I want to have this. Why do my friends or family or other people I know, why do they have this and I just have this? And we're upset. We want more. We envy. We quarrel. We're jealous. The scripture tells us not to adopt that world's way of thinking, but to be content with what God has us, gives us. He says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You and I need to learn that secret. I know that I do. For even in my heart, my heart covets. This world is good. The marketing and advertising world is very good at making us want more than what we have. Do they not? Do it all the time. Jesus also gives them a stark warning that the gospel will not always be accepted. Now, to you and I, that seems odd. How can someone hear the words of Christ, the story of the Bible, as we've been talking about quite a bit here? How can we hear that and people reject it? But they do. We know they do. This is the world that we live in. Maybe you at one point in your life also rejected. But you know what? That's to be expected. We've already seen that. Just as Jesus was rejected, so will the disciples. Their lack of receiving the message or the, or the messenger is a testimony really against them. Just as those that rejected the prophets of the Old Testament, those that rejected Jesus' message, and those that reject the gospel through the ministry of the disciples will stand in judgment and give account to God. As is when you and I share the gospel truly for what it is, not a twisted version, not a personal version of it. When they do not accept it, that is rejection. That is a judgment on them. And they are called to demonstrate this judgment through the symbolic act of shaking the dust off from their feet. Now, for you and I, that's kind of silly. Why in the world would you do that? We might wipe our feet, you know, when we're on some type of muddy ground or something that we think is unclean. 
But in those days, the Jews, as they would travel through Gentile regions, as they would walk uh, and as they would take one foot from like Samaria, we see this in Jesus and the woman at the well, as, as they would walk into a Jewish land, as soon as they crossed their boundaries, they would shake off the sand and the, and the dirt from that ground in Samaria before they would step over. Because to them, it was unclean. And so for us, what we're saying is he's saying symbolically say, then, then you are left in your sin. You are unclean. I'm not recommending that, by the way. But Jesus is telling this is a symbolic act to show that their rejection will lead to judgment. Now, the third observation is that of the obedience that bears fruit. Their obedience bears fruit. Now, we're not given here in Luke's account a full account of their success here. Just a quick note that they follow Jesus' instructions. In Mark's gospel, he writes that the disciples cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So Mark tells us that they were very successful. They were able to demonstrate and display and use the power and authority that Jesus gave them. They were ambassadors that were successful. What a wonderful adventure. I can only imagine what that might have been as they they put into practice all the things that Jesus had taught them. But as you and I think of this story now, I wanted us to do the work and say, well, what does this mean? What does it mean for you and I? Why why is this preserved in Scripture? Why do you and I have to think about this and talk about this 2,000 years later? How in the world is this profitable for doctrine, for, uh, for correction and rebuke and training in righteousness? Well, it's very clear. Here's the big idea. You'll see it here on the monitor is that you and I are seeing the compassion of Jesus is reflected in the mission that's carried out by his disciples. Once again, the compassion of Jesus and and Jesus' uh, ministry is, is wrapped in compassion for others. And it's reflected in the mission that is given out by the disciples. In other words, show compassion by sharing the message of salvation. And while you're at it, demonstrate that power, that life-changing, transforming power by transforming the lives of those who are suffering from illnesses, disabilities. Cast out the demons of those who are being possessed and oppressed, whose lives are being mangled by demon possession. And so the compassion of Jesus is reflected in the mission. Now, this is important because this mission is an extension of the saving reign of God. It's demonstrated because it's an extension. It's taking Jesus who could only, while on earth, could only be at one place at one time. And now he's able now to extend his ministry to more people, to a wider range of area. Jesus knew that his time on earth was short. And he could only minister here on earth. He only knew he was going to be there for three years. In preparation for his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, he had been training these men that the Father had given him to continue his ministry. He wanted to go to live out, or to outlive him and to continue on. I think you have your Bibles there. Turn to Luke chapter 4. Just go back a few chapters there. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Because we see there Jesus pronounces that he is that long-awaited Messiah that will fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. When he says in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the God of compassion who is coming to set people free. And the disciples would continue and further the the purposes of God to the same audience as they were to go only to the house of Israel at that time. It was the same message proclaimed that the kingdom of God is at hand. It was the same ministry, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse and cast out the demons. Number two, we see the compassion of Jesus reflected in the mission as this discharge of this mission must never be for personal financial gain. You and I are not in it for the money. And here's just a shortcut. If someone is in it for the money, then most likely they're the false prophets of 1 Peter. And this is one of the things that you as a church need to keep me and other elders and those of us who work uh, for you in line. We, we need to recognize that we do not do what we do for personal financial gain. It was the same focus. Do not be concerned with provision, but freely receive, freely give. God will supply all that we need. Just as Jesus was an itinerant preacher, so would they. Just as Jesus lived out what he taught, so should the disciples. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus taught... Do not be anxious what we shall eat, what we shall drink, what we shall wear. Now that's, that's a funny phrase. Listen once again. Jesus says, do not be anxious, saying what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear. That's an odd statement because isn't that all of Madison Avenue? Marketing, of Facebook, and everything else? They're telling you, worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear. I swear Facebook is following me. Um, Dawn and I and Emily will have a conversation in our room, in the living room, and then we will turn on Facebook, and all of a sudden there's an ad for that very thing that I've been talking about. And I don't have an Alexa. I don't have a Cortana or any of those things. It's like they, they, they can read exactly what's going on. I don't know how they're doing it. But that's advertisement. They want you to be anxious about all these things. Your family, your friends, the world, really, this is a type of thing. Be anxious about this. Where are you living? What are you driving? Where are you going to go after lunch or after church to lunch? These are all the things the world wants us to be worried about. He says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. Your Heavenly Father knows what, that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is, our, this is our theme at their church. And all these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You and I must trust Christ. This is important for you and I today. Because in this world, this world wants to keep you in an anxious state. It's so funny. CNN was just exposed by this by James O'Keefe. For doing this very thing. He went undercover and talked to one of their CNN producers. And he says, yes, we have been, we, we keep the COVID numbers always at, at, on, on, our, on our Chevron, they call it, on, on their screen. We want more deaths. We want to see that because it, it, it makes clicks. It makes people follow us. We can get more 
done, more policies, more politics done if we can keep people in a state of fear. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit what he's saying there. But that's what the world wants you to do. The government always has a policy, a, a, a bill, a something that they can do to solve your issue. They just need you to be anxious enough to accept it. They need you to fear it enough to allow them to do so. Number three, their mission would result in a divided response. Again, we need to recognize this is the job of ambassador. Not everyone will be received with joy. Jesus already taught them that some would respond positively to his message of repentance, while many others would reject it. They had watched as some responded gratefully to Jesus' healing ministry, while others would take it for granted. They listened as some were amazed at Jesus' teaching, while others would rise up and try to kill him for what he said. They're receiving the same condemnation. Jesus gives several warnings in his Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 7. You'll see it here on the monitor as we go through him. Jesus said, do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, this is not calling people dogs and pigs and disrespecting. Everyone is made in the image of God, and we are to respect all. But there gets a sense when we're sharing the gospel, we're sharing what God is doing, there comes to a point where, in the end, they're not using it wisely. They're just throwing it back at you, this disregarding. You and I know this. Have you ever asked someone to come to you and ask you for counsel, for advice? And you give it the best counsel, advice you can give them, and then they ignore you and go the other way? What do you do after a while when they continually do that? You just stop giving them advice, right? This is what he's saying here. In Matthew 7, he says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is what? Cut down and thrown in the fire. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Again, in verse 23, I declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These were people who said, wait a second. We cast out demons in your name. We healed in your name. And Jesus is going to say, so what? So did Judas Iscariot. Where is he today? The Bible says it was better that that man was never born. You and I have to realize that there is judgment for those that reject the word of God. So we need to expect it, that there are going to be people that will lose in our lives. Many of you understand this. You've lost friends. We've had people in this church that have lost their family members because of their message and desire to please God. I think it's a mistake that many churches today and pulpits and religious celebrities and scholars and intellect are more concerned about being accepted by the world than by Jesus. And we've given up our credibility many times by trying to please the world instead of trying to please Christ. Paul said, our aim is to please God. And I'll tell you, if you please God, it will put you at odds with the world. It will put you at odds with your family. It may put you at odds with your spouse, with your children. But still, here we are as ambassadors of Christ And many times we are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
We're ashamed at the words of Christ. Is there a pastor who will stand up today and say, as Jesus said, he made them male and female? A marriage is for one man and one male. Did I say that twice? Because that would definitely be wrong. One male, one female in a monogamous relationship, lifelong relationship. As you look here at the monitor, let me sum up here as we just look, what does this mean? Is that God has called you and I as Christians and has equipped us with the similar blueprint for ministry today. Again, churches and church growth resources, and I get caught up in this as well. I'm always looking, how can I build this church? How can I get more people here? How can I get them more involved? And I, and I follow these seminars and these conferences, and I'm trying to rebuild or do something that God already says, here's the blueprint. And I keep smashing my head against the rock, saying, why isn't this? But I, it's because I'm moving away from the blueprint. You and I are called to do what God has called us to do. We are to mimic or do what Jesus did, what the apostles did the same way. This equipping uh, and sending out of the 12 disciples here is foreshadowing, pointing to the mission of the church after Christ's ascension. We see that in the book of Acts. You and I today, 2,000 years later, our ministry is exactly the same as theirs was. Now, it may be in different contexts, it may be in different culture, but we never change the message. We never stop showing compassion. And all in all, we never compromise what God has called us to do as ambassadors. We can do this, number one, by mimicking Christ in our discipleship. Imitation is the serious form of flattery. Paul tells the Corinthian church, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. I would say the same thing, imitate me. But I tell you what, anytime I step outside of the image of Christ, then you need to stop following Rob or Randy or Landon or any of our other elders or deacons and teachers. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 2 for those of you who have it. Again, I encourage you, uh, bring your Bibles. If you don't have one, I'd love to give one to you this morning that you can take home with you. But Titus 2, we are to mimic Christ when we entrust. This is here. We mimic Christ when we entrust the gospel to others and we pass it on. In 2 Timothy, we say, what you've heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. So you and I are, are kind of playing that game where we're passing the baton. One generation to the next. We are to pass and trust the gospel on, sharing it down through the generations. But we're also built to build into the lives of others. And I want to focus on this Titus 2 very quickly. Read with me. But as for you, speaking of the church... Teach what sounds with, or sorry, uh, this was to Titus. He says, but as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he tells them what should happen in the church. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. We ought to be men of character who are exemplifying that to other men and women. 
Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, while working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be revealed, not reviled. Now, that's not saying a woman can't work outside the home. But he's talking there in a cultural sense there, is that they are to be examples to the younger women of how a sound Christian is to be. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, not to be living their lives in righteous living, chasing women and, and chasing just pleasures all over the place. In other words, he says there's to be an order in the church. We're to build into the lives of each other. We're called to do that. And that's my goal for you. Too many times people rely on the pastor. One, one pastor said this this week, or I think maybe the week before. He said, there are so many decisions in life and you're ignoring your pastor if you don't go to your pastor and ask for his advice on everything in life. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. I'd rather teach you what the Bible says, how you and I can make biblical wise decisions. Use biblical discernments. Yes, I, I would love for you to come and seek counseling or, or ask for advice. What does the Bible say about this? The Bible has something to say of everything. How, your marriage, finances, uh, relating it to work. It, it, it covers all things that lead to life and godliness. So you and I are all ministers. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 very quickly. You know this verse. It's, it's, a, it's a famous portion of scripture. What you and I need to realize is that every Christian has a ministry. If you're here today and you're reborn, regenerated, a child of God, you have a ministry. He says, and he gave the apostles, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do one thing. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Just as Jesus is equipping these men to continue his ministry, that, that's my job and the elder's job is that we are to teach and equip you to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature man. In other words, until Christ comes again or he takes us in death to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Many people will hire a pastor, and I'm so thankful that you give me that opportunity. I take it very seriously. But it's not about me to build the church. It's not about me to paint the walls, to clean the flower beds, to go out throughout the neighborhood, inviting people to church. It is our job. It is our responsibility. Now I have to admit, in a Confess that there are times I have not done that well. I have not taught and equipped you well. And when that's the case, please forgive me. Come to me in love and point that out. Grab me and say, Rob, teach me. Oh, that'd be great. I don't know what, I'd probably faint. Or Lord, take me now. But every Christian has a ministry. We have things here that need to be done. We're trying to build up our, 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 our food bank so that, that those of you who need food at times when things are difficult will have it so we can help the homeless, those that don't have a home, the people in our neighborhood that we can um, reach out to them through food. And so we have a few that have been helping us and you many of you brought food. We're going to be doing that again. And now we just need others to help us rebuild 
what another organization, we relied on another other organization to do that for us, but they're no longer here because of COVID. They won't be coming back. But we still have hungry people in our neighborhood. We have people here that need it. We need help in taking care of this property. It's old. We need help in going throughout the neighborhood and just saying, hey, I just want to invite you to Orangeville Bible Church. Just go watch this video. You don't have to engage them in a long conversation. Just, hey, I just want to tell you there's a church down the street that cares and loves for you. Can we do that? Going through the drive-thru, can you give them a track that we have out there for free and just say, hey, thanks. Can I give you something to read? I did that several times this week. We're to do the ministry. We need help. My time is short. I, I can only reach so much. My abilities and talents, though they may seem awesome, are not as awesome as you think they might be. I need your help. We are called to minister together. We're to share the gospel. In Matthew chapter 28, he talks about us being ambassadors. We're commissioned to go. He gives us, therefore, go make disciples and nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I've already given you some examples how you can share the gospel. My way, the greatest way is tell them about your transformed life. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I'm found. That's the greatest. Michael's really good at doing that when he talks about his history and how God has brought him through through a liver transplant and brought him back. And then how he's here today. I love to hear that story. And he loves to share that story. By the way, if you're thinking about going out for dinner, invite Mike and Jesse. He'll tell you some good stories about the power of a transformed life. But we're ever transforming, are we not? And many of you have that. Then we're trust God to supply our needs. Again, I know I'm being repetitive. But we need to recognize that God will supply every need. We're ambassadors of Christ when we are not complaining. Don't be an ambassador that's like the United States ambassador who's complaining about your own country. Don't complain about God. They say, well, when do I complain about God? Well, when you complain about not having anything. Wish I had a better house. I wish I had a better car. Wish I had a better husband or wife. Wish I had better children. These are what God has given you. I find myself complaining when I wish I was taller and had more hair. That's complaining against God. This is the way God created me. Let's receive it and accept it with joy. For these are the gifts of God. Now the gifts that God has given you, the way that God has supplied you, may not be as good as he's given someone else. But instead of jealousy and envy, rejoice that God has blessed them. I realized a long time ago that God has not made me rich. But he's had me, helped me give, uh, make rich friends. And I rejoice in them and I love them and I care for them. And we're not to take rejection personally. And I find this is what prevents many people from sharing the gospel. Maybe you've shared the gospel with a friend. You invited them to church and they rejected it. You may even find that they don't return your calls as much. They don't go to your Instagram and give you a heart. They don't comment on your Facebook as much. Maybe you're blocked. But don't take it personally. Jesus says they hated me well before they hated you. You and I need to understand is that rejection is very real today. There is a church in Canada today that is meeting in an undisclosed location after having their pastor freed from jail. He was in jail for over 30 days. Why? Because he preached the gospel. 
He wouldn't shut his church down. They're having to meet in an undisclosed location because after they released him from prison, he went back to preach. His church is about 400, 500 people. More are coming because of the, the notice, of the notoriety he's gotten. But they're meeting in an undisclosed location because after he was released from prison and began to preach again, and people were flocking to his church, they went and brought in three, type, three kinds of fencing, and they fenced his church around with three layers of fencing and put 200 police officers showed up last Sunday to prevent people from getting in. Rejection is real. We will face rejection. People will not accept the word of God. Everyone says they love Jesus. They just don't love what he has to say. Or what they want to do is they want to redefine or reinterpret what Jesus had to say. Fifthly, we are to trust that God will prosper our endeavors. Yes, rejection is coming. Just as we learn from the parable of the soils, it is God that causes all things to grow. In John 14, 12, we read, Truly, truly, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works he will do because I am going to the Father. You see, God has called you and I to be faithful stewards, ambassadors with the gifts that he has given you. And if you are in Christ, the new creation that that, uh, Landon read of earlier, you have a spiritual gift. You may not know what it is, but you have a spiritual gift. And you are to use it as an ambassador of God, to give God God the glory and to build into the lives of others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58, we'll end this. It's here on the, on the screen. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is what he has called us to do. This is what he called the disciples to do. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing this, that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Amen? We may be rejected. We may be put down. We may not receive the credit at all that we want, but we know that one day we will be with him and he will be our God and he will bring us to his home, the place where he has created for you and I. As ambassadors of God, let us be faithful in continuing the work of Christ and calling men and women everywhere to repent and be reconciled back to God. I pray today that if you have not done so, would you do so today? Would you see that God is beautiful and that he has sent his son to save us from our sins? If you'd like to know more about how you too can be a Christ, one, one of Christ, then see me afterwards. I'd love to share with you what repentance and putting your trust in Christ looks like, what is required. But I encourage you as Christians, be involved in doing the work that he has called you and equipped you to do. There we head bow, every eye closed, and we ask worship team to come up. Randy, prepare for our pastor's prayer. I just want you to take a moment real quickly and pause as we do. Consider the words, the encouragement, the challenges that I've given you this morning through God's word. And would you pray? Say, Holy Spirit, what would you want me to do? 
How should I respond to this? Should I become a member of the church? Should I become saved? Should I be baptized? Uh, maybe my next step is I need to be involved in the church. In what way can I use my spiritual gift? Hey, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Can you help me? We need to be involved and be truly being the ambassadors that God has called us to. Randy, would you close us with our pastor's prayer? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.